Today we are finishing up this part of the series in the book of Acts. We are witnesses with the story of Philip, who's going to be carrying, as we saw, the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to the other most parts of the world. I really appreciated Pastor Phil's message last week. Every time I hear him speak, I learn something new. I think, how long have I been doing this? Every time I hear him speak, he's teaching me things that I'm just loving to learn and uh, loving to learn from the book of Acts. And uh, he brought us all the way through the gospel coming through Samaria. Now, God's going to take it from Samaria to begin to take it to the nations of the world. We are multiplied beginning next week. You don't want to miss it. But it starts here in Acts 8. Here's how Luke recorded Philip's sharing with the Ethiopian in uh, Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can we stand, or what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we're a part of something much bigger than we know. We're a part of sharing in a message that's the most important that God has ever sent to planet Earth. And this message of the good news of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and appearing is still saving people who believe it. But they have to hear it. And you want all nations to hear it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you've called us to now carry the baton of the joy of sharing this gospel with the nations. As we learn how you work through Philip, so too you can work, work through us. And we thank you, God, for the joy of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading uh, in a piece by Paul Borthwick in a book he wrote a couple of years ago called Great Commission, Great Compassion, about how he met a young man at a McDonald's that reminded him that God's mission can be from anyone to anywhere at any time. The young man he met at the McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, his name was Peter. 
And he said, I noticed Peter working the counter, and I recognized him from our young adult ministry at church. And I knew he had just graduated from Harvard University with a master's degree. And I greeted him and managed to get him to break free for coffee together. What are you doing here, I asked, knowing that Harvard master's degree students don't usually aspire to work the counter at McDonald's. Well, he explained, I graduated in May. I went four months without finding a job. So I said to myself, I need some income to pay bills. So this is where I've ended up, at least for now. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. It must be hard, I replied. But Peter cut me off. No, don't be sorry. God has me here. This place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, would you like fries with that? <laughs> he laughed, and so did I. And he said, like Philip in the book of Acts, Peter found himself in a setting he never would have chosen as part of his long-term plan. But his mindset of living as a witness, a person sent by God, shaped the way he looked at his circumstances and the way he saw the people around him. You see, God has a great heart for the nations, the people groups all over the world, groups of people defined by language or culture, religion or customs, who yet need to hear the gospel, the good news of salvation. Some of these people from the nations are your neighbors. Uh, you ride with them on the way to work. They serve in your office. Their kids are in your schools. Some of these people from the nations are in the far-flung places of the world. God wants to reach them all. And the good news they need to hear is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a very simple message. In fact, Paul related in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, like this. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared. The gospel is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus. Max Lucado once wrote that because of the gospel, we know our lives are not futile, our sins are not fatal, and our death is not final. Jesus lived, died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and he's alive. And he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to those who will believe and receive him. This good news that started in Jerusalem spread to Judea and Samaria, is now going to go to the ends of the earth. And God would send his servant Philip to a Gentile eunuch from Ethiopia. And through him, the gospel would begin its journey to the nations. And that journey of the gospel coming to all nations has now been passed to you and me. We carry the baton of the gospel. And we, like Philip, are witnesses it's a gospel we remember every time we come to communion. And as Luke reminds us in the book of Acts, it is God's will that the gospel come to all nations through his witnesses. How will this happen? Just like it did through Philip. 
God will bring the gospel to all nations to the willing obedience of his people. And God will bring the gospel to all nations to the faithful sharing of his word. God will bring the gospel to all nations to the willing obedience of his people. Look at Philip's response in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Michael Ramsden is a co-worker with Rabbi Zacharias. And he was sharing the following story about a minister he knew, a pastor from Iran, where it can cost you your life uh, to preach the gospel. As the minister and his wife were driving along, they stopped in a small Iranian village and purchased some water. Before entering, the minister noticed a man holding a machine gun leaning against the wall of the store. The minister's wife looked at the man's face, then the gun, then, he put a, then she put a Bible in her husband's hand and said, Give that man this Bible. Her husband looked at the man, his menacing beard, and machine gun, and he replied, I, I, don't, I don't think so. But she persisted. I'm serious. Give it to him. Please, give it to him. Trying to avoid the issue, the husband said, as we have been trained to do, all right, I'll pray about it. Anyway, <laughs> he went into the shop, purchased the water, climbed back in the car, started to drive away. His wife looked at him and said, you didn't give him the Bible, did you? He looked straight ahead and replied, no, I prayed about it. It wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> she quietly said, you should have given him the Bible. And she bowed her head and started praying. And guys, you can't win when your wife starts doing this. <laughs> so at that point, he turned around and he told his wife, fine, you want me to die? I will. So he goes back, and when he returns to the store, the man's still leaning against the wall with his machine gun. The minister approaches him, places the Bible in his hand, and waits for the response. And when the man saw it was a Bible, he started to cry. This is a true story. Listen to this. The soldier said, I don't live here. I had to walk for three days in order to get to this village. But three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me to walk to this specific village and wait until someone would give me the book of life. Thank you for giving me this book. People, you and I often have no idea who God has prepared to receive the good news. God will create opportunities as we go. But we need to learn to be sensitive to those. To listen to his voice, his promptings, to say, speak to that one or give them a Bible or a track. Or take a moment to ask them how they're doing. God will open up those doors, giving us an opportunity to speak or prompting us to go. You see, the gospel came to the seeking Ethiopian because Philip was willing to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God told Philip he had a different mission location and he needed 
to leave Samaria to fulfill it. Now, Philip was having a great ministry there in Samaria. But God said, I want you to leave Samaria, go down the road, the desert road that leads to Gaza. Now, what strikes me is what Philip didn't do. He didn't say, Gaza? Philistine Gaza? Pagan Philistine Gaza? You, you want me to go down the desert road, that lonely stretch, to a road to Philistine pagan Gaza that leads to Africa? That's where you want me to go? He didn't do that. He didn't debate. He didn't question. It says in verse 27, so he started out. <laughs> so he started out. People, this is amazing to head where he was headed as a Jew to go to this pagan land on a desert road. No instructions, just go there. So he started out. He listened. He obeyed. And on the way, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, a man prepared by God to hear and believe the gospel and carry it back to Africa. God has given us the same commission as Philip. Issued through Matthew, when Jesus met the disciples in Galilee after the resurrection. You remember Matthew 28, verse 18? Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And what? Surely I am with you to the end of the age. You aren't going to lead these nations to Christ. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it through you. So when you're going at my prompting, I will be with you in those moments. Therefore, go as you go. As you go about your daily business, as Philip went down the road to Gaza, as you go about your daily business in your neighborhood, at work, where you shop, where your kids go to school, wherever you are, God has prepared people to hear the gospel. As you cross the street or cross the world, make disciples, he said. Share the gospel, baptize them as fully identified followers of me, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. God wants the gospel to be preached to all nations. God is bringing the nations to us. from so many different places so that we can share the gospel with them. And you never know when the person you may meet may be a seeking Ethiopian. I told you about a month ago I was at Disneyland with my grandkids, my family. I'm sitting on this bench in Tomorrowland waiting for the ladies to come out of the restroom. Grandkids are playing over there and one of them jumps off a bench and lands on this guy's foot a few seats down. So I call him over and say, you know, you need to apologize to the man. I'm really sorry. And the guy says, hey, don't worry about it. And the guy turns to me and he says, you aren't from around here, are you? <laughs> now, I'm not the quickest guy in the world, but I pray for opportunities. And when I hear some guy who doesn't even know me, he's an obvious Middle Eastern Arab-looking guy, and he's telling me I don't look like I'm from around here. <laughs> so I'm thinking, Okay. I said, no, I'm not from around here. I'm actually from the Bay Area. I said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Idaho. I said, oh, man, you're a long ways from home. He said, well, actually, that's not my home. My home is Saudi Arabia. I said, wow. What brings you to the U.S.? I'm a student. I've been here about six years. I'm working on a master's degree. I said, hey, 
That's great. I said, so you're from Saudi Arabia. Are you a Muslim? Oh, yes, I'm a Muslim. I said, wow, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Oh, we believe in Jesus too. I said, yeah, I know you do, but you don't believe in the same way that we do. You don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. He said, well, we don't believe Jesus is God's son. I said, yeah, I, I know you don't, but uh, tell me, why don't you believe he's God's son? Well, if he was truly God's son, God would never, listen to the words he used, God would never have sacrificed him. His name is Matifa. I said, well, Matifa, what if I told you this? What if I told you that God loves his son very much and Jesus is God's son? But what if I told you that God loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice the son he loves to save you from your sins? Because he knew without that, he couldn't have you. So God loves his son, but he loves you more. And he sacrificed Jesus to save you from your sins. He looked at me and he said, that would change everything. I said, you're right. It does change everything. I didn't sense at that moment he was ready to receive Christ in his life. He started talking about his sisters. He invited me to his house in Saudi Arabia. But uh, I don't know that that'll ever happen, but you never know. But here's the deal. I don't know what Matifa's going to do with the gospel I shared with him. The point is this. There was a time in my life I would have missed that opportunity because I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for the nations to be right next to me that God is trying to reach with the gospel. He would have said to me, you aren't from around here, are you? He said, no, I'm from the Bay Area, and that would have been it. But because of the things God is teaching me about being a witness, I realize he's not asking me that for no reason. God put those words in his mouth. And there are opportunities like this to come up every day to touch people from the nations. Some of us are going to be called to share with the nations here. God's going to call some of us to go and live among them. The point is, will we obey and go? I love reading church history. Church history tells us that our church fathers like Irenaeus were talking later about how this Ethiopian went back and began sharing Christ through his home country in Ethiopia. Through that witness, church history tells us that the queen, Candace, and her husband both became followers of Jesus and began sharing the gospel, not only in their country, but using their resources during their reign to promote the gospel in the surrounding countries. All through a man, an Ethiopian eunuch, who was prepared by God to receive a gospel that he told Philip, I want you to go down this road, and Philip obeyed. People, I don't know what roads God's going to ask you to go down for him or who he's going to have you sitting next to when you're doing your everyday things. But if we have eyes and hearts that are open, God says, I'm going to use you. Through your willing obedience, I'm going to use you to sow the gospel to the nations. And not only through the willing obedience of God's people, but God will bring the gospel to all nations through the faithful sharing of God's word. It goes on to tell us in verse 30, when Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep. This is Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I was reading a piece by Clark Cother, and he was talking about a skydiving thing he went to in Florida. Here's what he wrote. If you go skydiving at the Southwest Florida Skydiving Club in Punta Gorda, Florida, you can count on two things, an exciting experience and the need to know some basic rules. For instance, before you participate in a dive, your jump master will give you the following instructions. Don't curl up into a fetal position. You can slip out of your harness. Arch your back and hold your arms out in front of you to keep you from slipping out of your harness and to get you flying in the correct position. Stick your legs out in front of you when you're landing. No explanation necessary. Do everything your jump master tells you to do immediately. And I thought this was strange. No pets. No pets allowed on your jump. All right. I'm going <laughs> to jump out with my St. Bernard. Anyway, there are, these are non-negotiable, especially if you want to live. They are absolutes. Then he said, now let's imagine another skydiving experience. When you arrive, a smiling instructor begins strapping a, spare, a parachute to your back with no instructions at all while you're walking toward a plane idling outside. Over the plane's engine noise, he tells you, we here at the Relativist Skydiving School believe there are many ways to get from the plane to the ground. We respect everyone's desire to skydive, and we don't believe in absolute rules. So just listen to your inner voice, respond honestly to your feelings, have a memorable experience, and we'll hope to see you when you get to the ground. <laughs> now, if you hear that, he said, are you going to go skydiving? Probably not. He said, most people who go skydiving are glad that there are strict non-negotiable rules. You can't be a relativist at skydiving. The absolutes are there for good reason. And when you know why, it helps us embrace them. People, you can't be a relativist when it comes to salvation. There's not many gods, there's only one. There's not many ways to God, there's only one. Jesus is the ultimate absolute. You come to God through Jesus and his sacrifice, or you don't come at all, period. And once you understand why the absolutes of God's word are there to lead us to Jesus, you will begin to embrace them because you know that by them you have eternal life. That's what Philip was teaching the Ethiopian who was reading God's word. Philip knew the Savior. So God sent him to tell the Ethiopian the name of the one of whom Isaiah spoke. And so when Philip gets there, he runs up to the chariot. He hears the guy reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And they're driving along. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before a shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So Philip asked him, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. People, I've said before, Jesus is revealed in all 66 books of the Bible. He's completely throughout. The Bible is 
the written word that reveals to us the living word, Jesus. But of all the passages the Ethiopian could have been reading, none was more appropriate than Isaiah's revelation of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 52 and 53. In fact, in this section he was reading is the fourth servant song of Isaiah, the fourth section in which God through Isaiah is revealing the identity of Jesus. If you want to read this whole fourth song that the Ethiopian was reading, read Isaiah 52 verse 13 through chapter 53 verse 12. It's talking about his death, carrying our sins, dying in righteousness, rising again. It's all in there. So the eunuch says, hey, who's he talking about? And it tells us that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So the eunuch believes, and there are several precious details here you don't want to miss. Philip must have done a great job telling the whole story, including the meaning of baptism about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And as they're riding along, they come to some water, and the eunuch says in verse 36, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, to you and I, that may not seem that significant, but it was hugely significant to him, if you understand the meaning of baptism. Baptism is our total identity with Jesus. I'm fully aligned with him, fully immersed in him, fully a follower of him. I'm part of the family of God. Here's this eunuch who's asking that question. What stands in the way of my being baptized? He's asking it because as a eunuch who was either born that way or made that way to serve in the queen's court so he could never molest the queen, he also could probably never marry, never have kids, obviously, never enjoy a family. He also could never be fully Jewish. He could never be a full proselyte convert because the law forbid an emasculated man from ever entering the temple or presenting a sacrifice. They were eunuchs of the gate. They had to stay outside. So he could never be fully included. So now he hears about Jesus and the family of God and about baptism, and you're a part of this new relationship with God. And so he asks him, what stands in the way? Is there anything? I mean, I couldn't be fully Jewish, but is there anything standing in the way of me being fully Christian? Philip says, no, nothing. So they go down the water and they get baptized. Notice verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. Not only because his sins were forgiven and he was fully included in Christ and the kingdom, not only because now he could go back and share this good news with others whom he cared about, but he realized he had a Savior who fully identified with him and his inability to have physical children or even a wife, or a family. Look at what he'd been reading in verse 33. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This Jesus had no kids. He was taken from the earth. People, we're not, Isaiah wasn't writing this. The eunuch understood. Isaiah's not writing this to say, oh, what a shame, Jesus died before he could get married and have kids. What Isaiah's talking about is, through his death, Jesus has more children now than could be numbered or even named. Who can speak of his descendants? He has more kids looking to him as father than anybody on earth could ever have. And this eunuch realizes Wow, 
The same can happen for me. I can't have physical kids, but I can have hundreds of spiritual ones. I'm going to get to go be a part of a family. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. They're going to look to me as their spiritual dad. What I couldn't have before, now I've got. I'm part of a family, the family of God. No wonder he went on his way rejoicing. It was a living fulfillment of God's promise to foreigners and the Gentiles and the nations, and specifically to eunuchs. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. People, this is what God's allowed you and me to be a part of. Carrying good news like this to people from all nations. To share with them the word that reveals who Jesus is and what it really means to be in the family of God and to be a part of his kingdom. Are you and I sharing that word with the people around us? Are we helping them to understand who Jesus is? and giving God a chance to speak this kind of joy into their lives. There's only one way to Jesus. His word reveals who he is. And when people embrace and believe the word, they can receive Christ into their lives. He's the only way to God. It's a great truth to remember every time we come to communion. And God wants us all to be share in the joy of bringing this gospel to the nation. I was reading a piece by Ben Patterson who said, imagine the mystery and delight of not just hearing but seeing the story of Jesus for the first time almost as an eyewitness. That's what happened to a tribe in the jungles of East Asia when missionaries showed them the Jesus film. Not only had these people never heard of Jesus, they had never seen a motion picture. Then on one unforgettable evening, they saw it all, the gospel in their own language, visible and real. Imagine again how it felt to see this good man, Jesus, who healed the sick and was adored by children, held without trial, beaten by jeering soldiers. As they watched this, the people came unglued. They stood up and began to shout at the cruel man on the screen, demanding that this outrage stop. When nothing happened, they attacked the missionary running the projector. Perhaps he was responsible for this injustice. He was forced to stop the film and explain that the story wasn't over yet, that there was more. So they got him to settle back down on the ground, holding their emotions in check. Then came the crucifixion, and again, the people couldn't hold back. They began to weep and to wail with such loud grief that they had to stop the film. The missionary again tried to calm them, explaining that the story still wasn't over, and there was more. So they composed themselves and sat down to see what would happen next. And then came the resurrection. Pandemonium broke out in this tribe. The gathering had spontaneously erupted into a party. The noise was of jubilation. It was deafening, they said. People were shouting and screaming and dancing and slapping each other on the back. 
yelling in their language, Christ is alive, Christ is risen, Christ is alive. They just came unglued. They were filled with such joy. Again, the missionary had to shut off the projector. But this time, he didn't tell them to calm down and wait for what was next. Because all that was happening was the way it was supposed to happen. The gospel had come to another people group. They had heard about Jesus. They saw what he did. And they were joining in the celebration. Celebration that's going to come to all nations someday. Because God wants every nation, tribe, and tongue to be there. And how are they going to get there? When people like you and me, like Philip, are willing to obey the promptings of God and to go wherever they are to take advantage of the opportunities. They're all around us. And when we're willing to share with them the truth, the good news of the Word of God, that reveals Jesus as the only way. You see, this is the gospel we remember every time we come to communion. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul told the Romans, how blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news? How blessed indeed. They're spreading the joy. The joy amongst the nations. A joy that God wants all of us as his witness to be sharing in. Jesus said, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood, and it's given for you. And therefore, every time you come to this table, I want you to remember your witnesses of this. I want you to be filled with joy, and I want that joy to overflow to the nations. God, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for having people all around us from the various nations you want to reach and that you're also calling some of us to go to the various far-flung places of the world to bring the good news to them where they live. And thank you for this communion today. It reminds us of the joy of what it really means to be a Christian, that Jesus lived and died and rose again and he appeared. You're alive and you're living in us. Thank you, God.